Well, I missed you last week. I'm glad to be back with you. And I trust that Brother Jason fed you well from the Word of God. I hadn't talked to him since I got back. We didn't get back till late last night. Um, we had one of those experiences where we landed in Atlanta and Delta said to us, uh, You're, uh, you don't have a gate. We don't have anywhere to take you. And so we got to sit on the ground for 20 minutes. And you would have thought the world had ended for some of those people. They were not happy about having to sit on that plane 20 more minutes. And I was one of them, I won't lie. Um, but uh, I was ready to be back. I needed to see a Chick-fil-A. I didn't have to eat there, but I needed to see one. And uh, to just a single tear rolled down my eye when I walked by. <laughs> oh, well, this morning we're going to go back to Jude. Uh, I know we missed a week, but I'll remind you of where we've been in the book of Jude. These short, this short letter that tells us to contend for the faith. And so the first week... We talked really about our identity. Jude says that we are beloved by God. We are uh, called by God and we are kept for God in Jesus Christ. That's who we are as Christians. And then he calls us to contend for the faith. To stand up for the truth of the gospel and the truth of the word of God. The week after that we talked about these false teachers that Jude is writing about. And, and we talked about their identity. That they have rebelled against God's authority. They've rebelled against God's word, and ultimately the reason they have is that they want to do what pleases them more than what pleases God. They are selfish, and they seek their own selfish desires, and so that's kind of where we are. This week, Jude is going to transition from the identity of those false teachers to telling the believers, this is how you contend for the faith. This is how you're different than those false teachers. Instead of doing what they do, this is what... You're called to do as believers. So I'm going to share with you three um, challenges, encouragements, um, three statements from Jude 17 through 23. And they are these. Christian, remember God's word. Christian, look for God's spirit. And Christian, contend for the faith. Let's pray this morning, then we'll break those down. Lord, we are grateful for your word. I am grateful to be back with my family of faith, Lord, here, who I love so dearly and who love me so dearly. God, as we look at your word, we pray that we'd be challenged to contend for the faith the way that your word calls us to contend for the faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me read to you from Jude, uh, verses 17 through 23. But you remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So let's break these three challenges down. Excuse me, I might have to sit from this water bottle. It was cold in New Zealand, like in the 40s in New Zealand. And when we got back here, it was not cold. It was hot, and my throat has not adjusted well. So please excuse that. Um, Christian, remember God's word. The first thing that Jude tells these believers is he says, But you, 
There's a transitional word, but but instead of being like these false teachers who seek their own selfish desires, Christians, you are called to do something. And what is it that, that Jude calls them to do? The first thing he says, remember. Remember. Now let me remind you, in the Bible, remember means more than just to, to recall some fact, right? To remember means to, to really dwell on, to think about, and to respond to. And so Jude is saying, remember and respond to something. What is it that they're supposed to remember and respond to? It's the word of the apostles, the predictions of the apostles. And Jude even quotes the apostles. He says, the apostles were the ones who told you, hey, in the last days, in the kingdom of God, there's going to be scoffers. There's going to be false teachers. And they're going to try to lead you along the wrong way. And so Jude does something very interesting. He points God's people back to God's word. Now here's what Jude is saying. Remember the predictions of the apostles. We need to recognize that in Jude's day, they did not have the New Testament like we have it compounded and in a book together with the Old Testament. These Christians didn't have that, right? They couldn't go to Lifeway or go online or, or go you know, to Walmart. They couldn't go buy a Bible at the local store because the Bible as we know it today had not been fully put together. They probably had a few of the letters that had been copied and circulated. But what they did have was the authoritative teaching of the apostles. We talked about that in the first sermon. The, these core truths of the faith. Who is God? Who are we? What has Jesus done to save us? And what does it mean to be God's people? Those truths had come from the mouths of the apostles, inspired by the Spirit of God, and they were authoritative. Jude says, believers, you want to contend for the faith, you need to remember the authoritative word of God. Now, here's the good news for us as we apply this to our lives. We do have the New Testament. Amen? We do have the, the record of the words of the apostles from Matthew to Revelation. These are the words of the apostles inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by God through the apostles to the church. And so here's the application for us. We also, if we're going to contend for the faith, need to remember the predictions of the apostles from the Word of God. We need to remember God's Word. I think that it is, it's a sad state in a lot of Christians' lives and a lot of churches today that we are people who have more access to the Bible than any culture or any time ever before, right? You can get a Bible on your phone. You can get a Bible on your tablet. You can get a Bible on your computer. You can go to the store and get a Bible. You can find one in your hotel room. There are Bibles all over, but it's sad that in a lot of ways we may be the least biblically knowledgeable generation of the church that's ever existed. We have access to it, but we're not tapping into that access. So many people are deceived and confused and don't know what it really means to follow Jesus simply because they will not remember God's Word. And when we say remember, remember, we're saying dwell on and respond to. The Word of God is our access to knowing who God is and what He wants for us. And so as believers, if we're going to contend for the faith, we need to know the faith that's recorded in the Bible and we need to respond to the authoritative word that is in the Bible. The contrast here is that the false teachers don't remember God's word. They don't respond to God's word. They'd rather hear their own words. 
They'd rather hear words that make them feel good about themselves. They'd rather hear words that make them feel secure about all that they do and all that they have. And so they said, we don't need to listen to what the apostles said. We can figure this out ourselves. And Jude says, no, no, no. If you're going to contend for the faith, you need the word of God to be a part of your life. You need to dwell in the word of God. And it's like this analogy. If I want to know my wife, I have to communicate with my wife. You want to have a relationship with somebody, you have to communicate with them, right? And so the Word of God is God's communication to us. Now, we also to communicate God to God through prayer, and we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. But, but one of the primary ways that we're going to be rooted and contend for the faith is for us to remember God's Word. Let me encourage you. If you don't actively read God's Word, do it. It will change your life. I believe it. If, if you're not memorizing God's Word actively, let me challenge you. Let me dare you. Start memorizing some of the promises of Scripture. Let me tell you, it will change your walk with Jesus to hide God's Word in your heart so that you might not sin against Him. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced that we need to read God's Word, study God's Word, memorize God's Word, and that, and that when we do these things, we also have to respond in obedience to God's Word. It's not enough just to have head knowledge. We need heart transformation that leads us to obey God's word. Jude warns these believers. The apostles have already predicted it. Don't be surprised. I love that Jesus told his disciples, don't be surprised. Aren't we often surprised by things that go on in the world? We are, and I'm right there with you, man. Sometimes things happen in the world, and even within the church, that I just shake my head and I say, what in the world? And at that moment, it's when we need to remember the Word. We need to remember God's Word. Jesus said, don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, when the world hates you, because it hated me first. And, and the New Testament has this story, don't be surprised, this theme, don't be surprised in the last days, which is the days that we're walking in, whether you, you know, think that or not. I believe since Jesus came to the earth, when the king showed up, he brought the kingdom, Right? And he told his disciples, hey, the last days are here because I'm here. And, and the next last day is judgment. But between the, the truth that Jesus has come and the truth that Jesus is coming again, that's the last days. And so we're in it. I think Jude recognized that his audience was in it. And so the, the prediction of the pro, uh, apostles is that in the last time, in the last days, there's going to be people who follow their own ungodly passions even among the church. So we ought not be surprised. We ought to remember God's word and say, oh, we're not surprised. We have the word that tells us to be alert, and we have the word that tells us what to do. So Christian, if we're going to contend for the faith, we start by remembering God's word. Not only do I think we need to remember God's word, I think Jude teaches us, Christian, that we need to look for God's spirit. We need to look for God's spirit. Let me reread verse 19 to you this morning. Jude says, it is these, talking about who the apostles predicted, who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Jude tells us three things. Let me give you three quick things he tells us. You can look at verse 19, underline them, highlight them, however you want to do it. Three things about these false teachers. They, number one, cause divisions. They cause divisions. Now, this is different between having a disagreement. Someone who causes a division is someone who's constantly looking for ways to pick sides. 
and to pit people against each other. Jude says these false teachers, they're following their own ungodly passions, and so they cause divisions. They can't wait for an opportunity to say, oh, did you hear what they said? Whose side are you on? They can't wait for it. They're looking for it. The the smallest, tiniest thing is the thing that they want to pull out and say, all right, let's draw up teams, let's put on jerseys, and let's divide ourselves over this issue. Isn't it sad that people have given the church a reputation of being a place where there's more division than there is unity? I'm convinced that the New Testament teaches us as Christians we ought to passionately pursue godly unity. Can I say this to you? There's a way for us to disagree with one another and still have unity. There's a way for us to disagree about minor matters and still have unity. When we say, here's what we have to say, Jesus is number one. And if we'll all agree that Jesus is number one, right? He is the head of the body, the church. Paul says in Colossians, he is the head of the body, the church. That means Jesus is the boss. Paul says there's no Apollos, there's no Paul, there's no brother Jared, there's no brother Jason down the street. We are in Christ and Christ is in all. Jesus is the boss. So how can we have unity and still disagree? As long as Jesus is the boss and we have the Spirit of God, we can have unity with one another without always having to agree with one another. But here's the thing. The Spirit of unity seeks unity rather than division while the spirit of the world seeks division rather than unity. Does that make sense? So we ought to look for people who, who are genuinely seeking unity, though they may have disagreements, rather than look for people who are always seeking division for any reason whatsoever. Jude says, it is these who cause divisions. I, I wholeheartedly believe the reason that So many churches are marched by so much conflict, opposition, and division is because there are voices who are not godly voices who are dividing people. There are voices who do not belong to the Lord who are snuck in and are dividing people even among God's people. So number one, they cause divisions. Number two, highlight or underline or write this, they're worldly people. What does that mean? Well, the New Testament gives us this picture There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of God is God's chosen, saved, kept people, bought by the blood of Jesus, redeemed by the cross. We have the spirit of God. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But then there's also this kingdom of the world. And and especially read John's letters, read John's gospel. He He puts these two things at odd. The world is darkness. God's kingdom is light. The world is hate. God's kingdom is love. So we talked about in Ecclesiastes, what is a worldly person like? A worldly person is a person who seeks the things of this physical earth, this material world, to be their their gods, their pleasure, rather than fearing God and keeping his commandments, right? And so they're the people who want to find their comfort, their hope, their peace in this world. They're worldly people. And Jude says to these Christians, contend for the faith and watch out. Keep your eyes on people who are worldly. And we talked about this when we talked about the false teachers. A lot of false teachers are worldly people. They're greedy. They got really expensive jets and shoes and houses. And I'm not saying that everybody who has a nice house, everybody who has a nice car is a false teacher. But what I am saying is we ought to be very careful what voices we give ear to 
when those voices seem very, very worldly. So they are those who cause divisions. They are worldly people. And here's the key right here. Number three, devoid of the Spirit. They do not have the Spirit of God. And here's what Paul tells us in Romans. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of God does not belong to God. Paul says, without the Spirit of God, no one can confess that Jesus is Lord. Paul says, this is the the genuine proof of your salvation is that you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you and among you. The Spirit is a big deal in the New Testament. And I'm afraid too often we neglect teaching about the Holy Spirit and practicing the the discipline of of relying on the Holy Spirit and walking in the Holy Spirit. But, But we see all kinds of awesome things that the Holy Spirit does in the New Testament. We're told that the Spirit is the one who gives us the new New birth in John 3, right? You can't be born again. Nicodemus says, how can I be born again, Jesus? I I can't get back in my mother's womb. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You need to be born of what? The Spirit. That's right. So the Spirit gives us new life. It gives us these eyes to see. We're told the Spirit is the, the power of our Christian witness in our Christian life and acts. He's the one who empowers us to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're told the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And helper. Do y'all ever need any help? It's just me. Brothers and sisters driving in New Zealand. They don't have straight roads and they drive on the left side of the road. And me and Miss Natalie rented a car and I immediately was scared to death. I tell you what, I'm on the left side of this car or the right side. Which side of the car was I on? The right side. Driving on the left side of the road. I'm on the right side of the car. And they don't have big cars, right? You feel a little safer in a big car. We're in like this little tiny car. Like I could pick it up and throw it. And we're weaving around these mountains, right? We're weaving around up and down these mountains trying to get to where we're going. And let me tell you, if we had not had the Holy Spirit of God, <laughs> we'd have come apart. We needed some help there. But we, we need more help than just when we're driving or just when we're lost. We need spiritual help every day of our lives. We need spiritual help. And, and the New Testament says the Holy Spirit is our spiritual help. He's our connection, our union to Christ. We're told that we're filled with the Spirit. We're told not to be drunk with wine that leads to recklessness, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're told we can grieve the Spirit of God. Even as believers, there are times when the Spirit tells us this is what you need to do, and we push back. We're told that the Spirit prays for us. Even in such a way that there are times when we don't have words to pray for ourselves. And the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit, He prays for us. Isn't that good news? And the New Testament says this, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you belong to God. It's a marker, probably the primary proof of your true conversion. But these false teachers are devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. How can you tell they don't have the Spirit? They cause divisions in their worldly. Here's the problem for so many of us as Christians. We can't see the Holy Spirit with our own eyes, right? He's invisible to our physical eyes, right? Everybody shake your head if you agree with me. right? You can't see the Holy Spirit with your physical eyes. But the New Testament does tell us there's some ways for us to see the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But it's hard, isn't it, when we can't see Him with our own eyes? Me and Natalie, we stayed at this Airbnb, and I know I'm using a lot of vacation uh, illustrations here. It's just because I've been on vacation. But um, we stayed at this Airbnb, which means that you're staying in somebody's house, right? You're in someone's house, and we're in this beautiful house overlooking this bay in Auckland, New Zealand. 
and uh, just a wonderful, and it's a nicer house, you know, that we live in, and so we're really living it up, we're enjoying it, you know, I took like four or five showers, it was really nice, um, you know, somebody's got one of those nice showers, you know what I'm talking about, some of y'all got nice showers, there's just so much space, and you're just, I just want to stay in here, right? Well, we're in this lady's house, and it's the last night, and she says to, you know, she's talking to us, and she gets to asking us, what do you do? You know, what do you do? And that's always a fun question, because when somebody asks me what I do, and I say I'm a pastor, this is the face they make. They immediately start to ask themselves, what have I said in front of this guy? And knows. What have I said in front of this guy that I should not have said because he's a pastor, Right? But this lady didn't do that. She asked her, you know, what do you guys do? And now so I'm an eye doctor. Great, you know, how do I compete with that? And then she says, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And her, her face lights up. And she says to Natalie and I, could you tell that we were Christians? Right? And we're like, no. Like, how? How would we know that? Like, you didn't tell us. You didn't. And she even, she even snapped. She's like, we just had the Bibles out, you know, on the table. And we missed, you missed it, so we didn't see the Bibles. And so it was like, no, how, do, how would we ever tell that you were Christians? This is the first conversation we're having with you. We haven't just been walking around your house looking for evidence. You know, that's not what pastors do. And so I thought about that, though, as I was thinking about the Spirit. We can't see the Holy Spirit with our eyes. We just can't. But here's the reality. The New Testament does teach us that the Holy Spirit does some things in our lives that we cannot do without Him. And He does things in the lives of other believers around us that they cannot do without Him. And so there are things we ought to look for when it comes to, does this person truly have the Holy Spirit? First, I would point to the the fact that they, they bear the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Paul tells us that these are the fruits of the Spirit. These are not things we do by ourselves. These are things as Christians that the Spirit of God, if He lives in us, He produces through us. So we, in our own lives, as we look in the mirror and say, where's the Spirit at in my life? We, we look at those things. We say, is the Spirit producing the fruit of the Spirit in my life? We also look at our pursuit of holiness. The, the Holy Spirit dwells in us to conform us to the image of Christ. That means that the Holy Spirit works to make us more holy. And we need to look at that pursuit of holiness in our lives. And, and not only our lives, but we need to look at the lives of those that we uh, interact with as Christians, those voices that we listen to, and we need to ask, according to Jude verse 19, is this person devoid of the Spirit? The Spirit brings unity rather than divisions, and the Spirit brings godliness rather than worldliness. So we need to, at this point, look for God's Spirit as we contend for the faith. And let me tell you, it it looks like this first. Don't go looking for the Holy Spirit in other people's lives until you've looked for the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't go looking for the Holy Spirit in other people's lives until you've looked at the mirror and said, Holy Spirit, where are you working in my life? Where do I need to submit even more to your work in my life? But as we do that, then we go from there, and we're going to talk about that. So look for God's Spirit. Brothers and sisters, there's a spirit of discernment that we ought to have as believers that we can tell when we're hearing a voice that's speaking with the power of the Holy Spirit and we're hearing a voice that's speaking with some other power. We can't see it with our eyes, but we know what the Bible says. We remember the Word of God, and we know what the Spirit produces. So as we contend for the faith, we ought to look for God's Spirit. 
The last thing in verses 20 through 23 that I want to share with us this morning is Christian that we contend for the faith. And there's two primary ways I want you to see in verses 20 through 23. The first one is we contend for the faith with spiritual discipline. Let me read to you. But you, again, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I think that what Jude is talking about here is personal spiritual discipline. Jude says you and I contend for the faith through personal spiritual discipline. Now this is interesting, right? Because Jude says that we have to earnestly contend for the faith. He uses athletic or military language, right? And so he's saying we got to go fight for the faith But he doesn't tell us that we fight outwardly first. He tells us our first fight is inwardly. Right? I watched this movie. It's called Creed. And it's about Rocky training this new boxer. I'm a big Rocky movie fan, right? And and Creed puts somebody else's would be amen. Some of you, if you don't watch Rocky, at at least once in your life you need to watch a Rocky movie. But Rocky's training this new boxer. And he takes him and he puts him in front of a mirror. He says, you look at the guy across from you. You know, he says in that deep, rocky voice, Look at the guy across from you. Yeah, that's what he sounds like. I'm, don't worry, I'm here all week. Uh, <laughs> look, at, look at the guy across from you. He says, When you get in that ring, that's your opponent. That's who you're fighting. You're going up against yourself. How far can you go? How far can you push? What? Are you doing it? Now, here's what Jude tells us. As we contend for the faith, he puts us in front of a spiritual mirror and he says, Who are you battling against? First and foremost, you need to be built up in the faith. You need to deal with your own personal spiritual discipline. And he tells us what we do. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Now, Jude has told us earlier in the letter that there is an authoritative faith. And what Jude tells us here is that we need to build ourselves up, work ourselves out, exercise ourselves up into the most holy faith. We need to grow our spiritual discipline muscles, Jude says. Build yourself up. Don't depend on somebody else to build you up. Now, we do need the encouragement and exhortation of the Word of God through preaching. We do need the Word and encouragement of other Christians. But there's also a personal responsibility for us to learn how to build ourselves up in the faith. To pray. That's the next thing that we're told. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think Jude's talking here about any special spiritual language. I think he's just talking about the daily discipline. Hey, believer, when you pray, you're praying in the Holy Spirit. Because he dwells in you. And so we need to build ourselves up in prayer. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he he said that prayer was so important to his ministry and his life that if he had an extra long day, he would wake up two hours early to have more time to pray. Because the more busy his day was, the more he felt like he depended on that prayer time with the Lord. I think if we want to see revitalization and revival in the American church, we need to remember what it's like to build ourselves up by praying to God. By falling flat on our faces and praying in the Holy Spirit that God would guard us, that He would keep us. Not only do we build ourselves up 
that way we build ourselves up by keeping yourselves in the love of God, Jude says. Now what does that mean? Let me remind you that Jude has already told us that we are kept by God, that God is the one who keeps us. So Jude's not changing his mind. He doesn't change his mind at the end of the letter and say, okay, it's not God keeping you. You need to keep yourselves. He's adding to the fact that God keeps us. He says, God is keeping you. <clears throat> Excuse me. You don't have to worry about being lost if you're God's because God will keep you. But at the same time, you need to keep yourself. And what Jude means is that, that you can't neglect spiritual discipline just because God is keeping you. Yes, God is keeping you, but he's not keeping you so that you can be lazy and do nothing. He's keeping you so that you can be built up in him. Jude says don't neglect keeping yourself in the love of God. Now, how do we do that? What do we do? Well, we get ourselves in the presence of God. We worship God. <clears throat> Huge way to keep ourselves in the love of God is to, to worship God daily. To worship God together. To make worship more than just an event once a week. But to make worship a lifestyle that we walk in. To practice loving God by reading His Word and obeying His Word. And so at the same time, the New Testament gives us these true two truths. God is the one who saves you. God is the one who keeps you. You can't earn your own salvation. You can't keep your own salvation. God's got that dealt with but at the same time, Christian, you are called to build yourself up in the faith. You are called to contend for the faith and to build yourself up, keep yourself in the love of God. And here's another part of our spiritual discipline. We wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. A lot of the Christian life is waiting. We wait on God's promises. In the midst of tough times and trials, we are called to Wait on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm an impatient person. I already told you, when they landed that plane and came over the intercom, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we don't have a day for you. I did not want to wait. I was ready to be back home. And yet, so much of the Christian life goes completely against our natural inclination to be impatient. So much of the Christian life is a waiting life. It's a life... Between the promises of God, between the promise that you're saved, you're kept, you're loved, and the promise that Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. And he's going to come, and he's going to judge the world, and he's going to collect his people. We live between those two promises, and between those two promises, there's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of seeing things that we know aren't right. There's a lot of doing things that we know aren't right. And so we say, Lord, how long, how long is this going to go on? And we wait on the Lord's mercy. I think that waiting does something in us that nothing else will do. As we wait on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that we really do trust Him. It's only in those times that we have to wait that we can really see, do I trust the Lord or, or am I trusting in myself? Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Let me encourage you, challenge you this morning. If anything will help you grow closer to Christ... It is the spiritual discipline of spending time with God every day. And, and listen, I don't want to make you feel guilty. I don't want to make you feel bad. If you're not doing it right now, start with five minutes. Just start with five minutes. 
Read as much of the Bible as you can in five minutes. Pray. Pray in those five minutes. And grow that time. Build yourselves up. Exercise. And then do 10 minutes and 20 minutes. And keep going. And the more you spend time with the Lord praying, reading His Word, worshiping, singing, listening, the more you will be built up. And Jude says you contend for the faith by personal spiritual discipline first. It's easy for us to go out and start pointing fingers. You need to do this better. You need to do that. That person's bad. That person's a false teacher. What's harder for us is to say, how am I building myself up in the faith? How am I strengthening myself so that, number one, I won't be led astray, but number two, so that I won't lead others astray and I can help point people in the right directions. So we contend for the faith through spiritual discipline, and we contend for the faith by mercy towards others. Let me read the second part of that passage. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment. Now here's where if if it weren't the word of the Lord, if it were the word of Jared, I would probably say, all right, now you go contend for the faith by punching people in the eye, right? They start trying to lead people away from Jesus. You, you go kick them in the shin. And punch them and tell them, get out of here, right? That's how we normally contend. That's how we normally fight. We're aggressive, right? We want to be vocal. We want to be loud. We want to argue. Jude says, we don't contend with false teachers. We don't contend with people who are struggling by beating them up with our heaviest Bible. We contend by showing mercy. Oh, man. Mercy. As I was reading and studying through the book of Jude, I kept waiting for it to turn into, all right, now you're loose. Go fight. Go go argue. Go fight. Go try to convince people. Go beat them over the head with the truth. And Jude never says that. He says, show mercy. How will we win people away from false teachers? How will we hopefully encourage false teachers to get right with God? It's not by beating them up. It is by showing mercy. First, Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Brothers, sisters, even in this room today, I'm confident there are people who are struggling with doubt. I think that's a natural part of our Christian lives. And there's probably people in this room today who are struggling with, do I really believe in God? Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I really believe in God's word? Here's what Jude does not say. Jude does not say for us to laugh at them, point fingers, and hit them over the head with the Bible. Jude says, show them mercy. Help them out. Give them grace. Second thing, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Sometimes we gently show mercy. Sometimes we have to aggressively show mercy, right? It's still mercy, but it's a little more aggressive, right? Have you ever been to a bonfire with a bunch of teenage boys? I have. I used to do student ministry at Pinkard Baptist Church, and we every year have what's called the, the swamp cookout. Men's and boys swamp cookout. And our association, when they still do it, they invite you know some speaker, some men's speaker, and every church comes and cooks something crazy. Like we cooked a whole pig, jambalaya, frog legs, alligator tail, deer, all that kind of you know man stuff, you know that kind of stuff. Um, that was my Tim Allen. You guys remember Tim Allen? I'm doing a lot of impersonations today. That's not good. Um, but anyway, I, I remember being there and having. The, the fifth and sixth graders, they were the toughest to watch at the bonfire, right? At the campfire. 
the older kids didn't want to be anywhere around us. So they're off by themselves. Okay, they can go. They're not up. But those fifth and sixth graders want to run around. They want to run around right on top of the fire, right? And we had this guy who was military, and he was like special forces, and he was like, you know, he was the real deal. And I remember this fifth grader running straight for the fire, and this guy just reaching over and snatching it. I mean, one arm snatch a fifth grader. And that fifth grader was offended. <laughs> Let me tell you, that fifth grader was not happy. He was embarrassed. His friends looked at him, and he had just had to be snatched away by this big army guy. And the army guy just kind of chuckled and set him down. But the reality is, had he not been snatched from the fire, there were going to be real consequences. There's going to be real burning and real, real hurt involved had he not been snatched by the fire. And brothers and sisters, as Christians, this is what Jude tells us. There are people who are running into the fire. And they're running head first into false teaching, into false gospels, into bad ideas about what it means to be a Christian. And there are some people with mercy that we need to snatch from the fire. We need to be honest with them and say, brother, friend, you're running towards some fire. And because I love you and don't want to see you burnt up, I want you to know I'm here to snatch you out of the fire if I can. Again, Jude reminds us, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. As we show mercy, we do it with a reverence, understanding what's going on, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We need to recognize the reality that's out there. Christian, contend for the faith through spiritual discipline, but we also have to contend for the faith by showing mercy towards others. Here's what I also believe. Spiritual revitalization and revival will show up in the American church, in our church, when we are committed to spiritual discipline, personal spiritual discipline. But I think the second process is it will show up when we're committed to mercy towards others, to showing mercy, showing the mercy that God showed us through the gospel of Jesus, that though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on the cross, and he bled, and he was cut. And on the cross, instead of using a stick, he used these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Here's the gospel message. We didn't deserve God's mercy. We were running headfirst into the fire of hell and judgment and punishment, and we deserved it. And God, through the love of Jesus, by sending his Son, who was perfectly God, perfectly man, He lived a perfect life on our behalf. He died on the cross as a substitute for our sins. He rose again, proving He was God. And He did that to snatch us from the fire. And so here's our attitude now. As believers, we contend for the faith by sharing the message that God can and will save anyone who repents and trusts in Him. Christian, remember God's Word. It is vital to contending for the faith. Christian, look for God's Spirit. It is vital to contending for the faith. And Christian, contend for the faith through personal spiritual discipline and through mercy towards others. Ultimately, we contend for the faith by trusting in Jesus. And and next week, we're going to talk about how He is able to keep us in His love. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your love. Thank You for the cross. As we approach... This sermon was recorded at Grant Street Baptist Church in Bessemer, Alabama. For more information about Grant Street, see www.
www.grantstreetbc.com.